Hey everyone, it's Michelle. And Brayden. And this is Spooky Shit. This week we are going to be talking about spree killers. I'm going to start out by talking about Charles Starkweather. And then I'm going to talk about Howard Unruh. Warning. This episode may contain graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. All right, before we get into our stories, though, how have you been? (laughs) You're not ready. You're busy, yeah? I am so busy. This month has been, like, nonstop. Tell me. Tell me all the things. Okay. Well, remember Friday, I ended up going to Horror Nights. Yes. Which was... How was that? It was fun. I honestly thought it would be more scarier than it was. Oh, okay. But then again, I feel like it would have been scary. The only reason it wasn't is kind of because in the mazes, most Mm -hmm. of them were just nonstop. Like, they would just let a whole, like, grip of people in. Oh, okay. So you kind of, like... Saw the group in front. Yeah, you kind of saw the group in front of you get scared, so it kind of took away... Because you would like see the, it coming. So you knew, yeah, yeah. So you like knew where they were. You knew where they were going to pop out. So it kind of like killed it in a way. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. So that's the only thing that I feel like would have been better if they wouldn't have done that. But yeah, it was fun. And Hell yeah. Then, was Alara scared? You said that she was more yeah. of a chicken than you. <laughs> when we first got there, she like, oh my gosh, she squished the hell out of my arm. <laughs> I'm pretty like it. it oh, he's flexing so those bad. muscles now. He's like, I was oh, trying to see if she left her bruise. <laughs> yeah, just like was, a handprint. <laughs> no, like literally, she was death oh gripping my, God. my arm, and was like, I had to like hold her hand because I was like, dude, you're hurting my arm. <laughs> you need to chill. But yeah, she just was really scared in the beginning, and she was just trying to laugh it off, and it's funny because she's like fake laughing and she's like i'm just gonna laugh so they don't come to me she's like i'm not gonna scream <laughs> yeah like literally like that she's like ha, 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 ha. she's like i'm not gonna scream i'm not gonna scream all the um, actors watching her like is she okay for real um but no she she did good she actually didn't scream hey uh, which i'm like honestly surprised about so proud um, i mean she did scream like in the mazes but like just walking around really like chase you she did really good hell yeah and then yeah so that was really fun saturday went to go see bad bunny which oh my gosh yeah how was bad bunny amazing i forgot i was started watching like your instagram story and it was too long and i had to stop it yeah (laughs) i literally posted a lot but oh my god that man knows how to perform yeah yes he's a great entertainer so yeah i had so much fun like that's so sick i would go again to see him like he was he was really good would recommend 10 out of 10 would recommend anyone uh who likes bad bunny go see if he's in your towns immediately he's worth apparently he is worth it but yeah there was actually like a lot of people like on my instagram that went too like i knew a lot of people that went that's cool but yeah, it was so much fun. Like, I did not want to attend. Oh, that's dope. And then Sunday, we went to my wife's uncle's 
birthday party. Was... Dude, you guys had a fucking jam-packed weekend going Dude, on. Oh, really my God. <laughs> and I was just so tired because, like, we didn't really rest at all. Cause yeah. Actually, on Sunday, we ended up waking up at, like, noon. And, Relatable. You know, yeah. So early. I remember <laughs> I, I, like, literally, like, got up and was like, oh, shit, it's noon. I should probably, like, you know, get out of bed. And I, like, woke up with Lars and I was like, hey, like, it's getting late. And she was like, what do you mean? And she looked out the window and she was like, nah, it's like 8 o'clock. Oh, I was no. Like, um, no, it's like literally about to be 1230. And she Jesus. was like, no, you're lying. And then I literally showed her my phone. And she was like, okay, time to get up. <laughs> yeah, you guys fucking needed the sleep, it sounds like. Yeah, we did. But yeah, I've just been really tired because I haven't been sleeping that great. Too just, busy. Yeah, really busy. I'm like stress trying to do these last minute things for this weekend because we're going to a wedding yep and then on tuesday we went to disney disneyland oh yeah for the oogie boogie bash so how was it it was cool it was pretty laid back i thought they would have like a dj but they didn't oh that's kind of lame they kind of bash doesn't have a dj for real um well they did have music playing throughout the whole park and it was mostly okay villains songs and cute so that was cool which uh, i was like we were talking about it and i was like that i feel like that should be a thing like all the time they should always play like disney music they should the they do like in like, some parts cool. but yeah yeah but not like the, it was literally like the whole park that's so cool but yeah mostly they just had uh like lines where you basically trick-or-treat and you can see villains oh cool but we actually didn't do any of that we just went on rides <laughs> Nice. Usually just went there for the shorter rides. Shorter lines for rides. Yeah. I think the longest we waited was like half an hour maybe. God, that's so fucking cool. But I don't know if they're going to do it next year or if you have tickets for this year. But they have this really awesome like little experience. I don't know if you know where the Red Creek Trail is. Yeah, I've tripped and fallen on that twice actually walking on the rope net. (laughs) <laughs> they have like a rope net floor and I've embarrassed myself twice in front of small children who just look at me when I fall. Well, I actually have <laughs> never been in there. Oh, it's so cool. Before Tuesday. Really? And since it's like Halloween themed, they basically had it set up with a bunch of like lights and like projectors. Oh my god, I can't even I want to do that so bad. I can't even explain to you what I saw, but it was amazing. That's so fucking sick. You're like, I saw the ghost of Walt Disney himself. (laughs) I might have. I don't know. It was just so pretty. Like, each little section was like a different villain. Oh, that's so cool. And it's like, it was like a, like a hint of one. Like, you kind of had to figure it out. But yeah, it was like, oh, I was so pretty. I literally was like, wow, the whole time. And then we also saw the parade. You saw the parade, the Halloween one? Mm-hmm. We uh we went to Disneyland this weekend too and we saw like the fireworks show and stuff and I was like that too because we don't usually watch it. I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. So Every time it went off, wow. And then also just me cringing because I'm like, oh, fuck, that's loud. <laughs> and then once I saw it, being like, oh, cool. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I did Tuesday and I just kind of haven't really recovered from that because we got It's only home. Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> 
I think we got home around 1. I mean, Alaris drove home and I did sleep in the car, but it's not the same. Yeah, it's uh, not the same as resting in bed. Yeah, and so I got like four hours of sleep. Ooh. And then yesterday, I was like dying at school. <laughs> yeah, I was that like falling brutal. asleep. And then I got a haircut. You know, I have nice. the wedding. Looks good. I actually, I don't think I, did you see me last week? I think so. Wait, you don't have any more blonde. Didn't you have some more blonde last week? Yeah, I actually oh, had. Gone. I had a bit of a slick back, and I still had a, quite a bit of blonde. But I decided I was like, I kind of just want to chop it off. Yeah. And get rid of most of the blonde. So the only blonde is literally the tips by the front. I can't even see it. <laughs> it's like it's very. Very subtle. I had him. I had him cut off most of it because I was like. It was just kind You're of not feeling it right me. now. Yeah, I was like, I'm not feeling it. I just want to cut it off, and then yeah. after the wedding, maybe bleach my head again. But I don't know. We'll see. I'm um, not feeling your most confident at the time. It was pretty like grown out and stuff too. Yeah, it was. Yeah, um, I didn't notice that you said it. I was like, oh yeah, you're not blonde anymore. Yeah, I'm short. <laughs> nice. I went back to my forward, spiked up look. It looks good. Looks thank fancy. You. Thank you. Thank you. That's what I was going. But yeah, I'm just tired, and I'm actually really hungry because I haven't eaten anything all day. Yeah. Um, Same. Should we tell them uh, while we each say our stories, the other one is literally going to mute themselves and eat? Yes, because we are both starving. We're both I mean, hungry, and he has to leave immediately after we're done recording. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just like, you know, leaving, you know me, procrastinating. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> me too, well, though. I literally went to go buy a suit jacket for the wedding, and mm-hmm. I went right after work. I got to the mall around, like, 3 yeah. p.m. I literally was there for three hours. <laughs> but Jesus. I could not find, like, one that fit me well for the life of me. I went to H&M. All of them were too long, and, like, they just were not so it. And so I literally went, like, to every store I can think of. I went to JCPenney's, I went to Cotton On, Old Navy, Express. Like places that probably don't even sell suit jackets. You sure like, let me check. Yeah. Forever 21. <laughs> I went to That's they say Forever 21. I did go there. They did have like one option. Oh, they did? Yeah. Interesting. But yeah, it was like stressful and because they did. I did find some re- a really nice one. At, I think it was JC Penny, mm-hmm. but it was like two hundred and ten just for the jacket. Dude. And I was no, like, uh, actually, no. I think it was one forty, which is still really expensive. Yeah, just for, the for jacket. just a jacket. And I was like, fuck. And it was actually really nice. Like it fit me really well. Oh. I was like, fuck. But yeah, so I was like. I went to go try Macy's, and all they had there was, like, high-end stuff, like Calvin Klein and some other, yeah. like... They're the expensive brand. department store. Yeah. It was even worse, and I was... It was, like, 300 and something for the jacket. I was like, oh, okay. Never so, mind. Yeah, I was like, okay, bye. And then I tried Old Navy, and then they have a men's district right next to Old Navy. But oh, cool. I was like, that's going to be my last resort. <laughs> And mm-hmm. it was my last resort, and I walked in, and they helped me, and it was like, what are you looking for? I was like, 
honestly, just the jacket. Like, I have a wedding this weekend. Mm-hmm. And then he basically sold me. Because <laughs> I guess they have a deal where it starts at 150 and you get the jacket, pants, a shirt, a tie, and socks. That's a fucking insane, like, a deal. It is. Holy shit. I couldn't pass it up. Um, yeah. Well, and because I guess the pants I got, they were a little different, so it was mm-hmm. a little more expensive. It was supposed to be, like, 250 mm-hmm. but uh, I was like, fuck, like, I don't have that money right now. Yeah. And he was like, oh, like, how much you got? Like, he's like, I can give you a discount. And, like, he really just re- really wanted to, like, make a sale. So That's he nice. Was like, they he must was make like, commission there, then. Maybe. <laughs> he was like, I'll, like, give you $50, per, $50 off and, like, bring it down to 200 And the pants were too long, so he was like, I'll tailor them. And, like, today oh you'll God. have it. Yeah, he was like, I'll do it for free and you it'll take me, like, 10 minutes. I was so like. So if Robert Oliver has to go there, we need a line say he doesn't have enough money and try to get $50 off. Because, mm-hmm. holy or, shit. Yeah, just, like, kind of play, drag it. That's what I did. I was just standing there, like, on my phone. And I really was, like, I was, like, sending pictures to Larissa and my mom. Mm-hmm. Kind of just getting their opinion on it. Um, and they were, like, let me see. And so I sent them a picture. And I just really spent a majority of the time on my phone just trying to, like, figure out how I, I was going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. Um, or just trying to see if I should do it or just take the jacket by itself. But the jacket by itself, what he told me, I think it was, like, 140 which is like, it's like a majority of the price. Yeah, so I'm like, dude, you literally get shirts, pants, and socks, and a tie. I was like, that's like literally the whole fit. I was like, I have dress <laughs> shoes, so I'm not tripping about that. I love um, a bundle deal. Yeah, it. he got me. <laughs> but You just got played. Probably, but honestly, I have a lot of weddings coming up. And I was like, this is perfect. You know, I'll just wear the same thing, maybe just a different color shirt. You know, or tie. Yeah. Because I definitely make use of this suit, I feel. It's not going to be a one-time occasion. No. So it's a very nice suit. I think it it fits me well. It's, it, I I felt like I looked good in it. And it was Hell hard. yeah. Like, once I, he had me try it on um, and everything, I was like, okay, like, and I, I actually look good. Like, I can't, hey. can't deny it. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Um, yeah, after we finish recording, I have to go. I'm taking Dante, my dog, up to LA because my I'm gonna have my aunt take care of him while we're gone. Nice. And yeah, then we have to come back home and pack. Shit, that sucks. Because we leave <sighs> tomorrow. So wait, yeah, where's just... the wedding? It's in Sacramento. Oh fuck, that's far. Okay, you're driving yeah. or flying? Oh no, we're flying. Okay, cool. So that's not too bad. That's like an hour and a half flight or so. Yeah. Dope. I didn't realize so, it was so far. Yeah. But yeah. Damn. How about you? What you got? I went to Disneyland as well, like I said. And we live streamed Disneyland, which was interesting. Oh, yeah. For yeah, we were, yeah, we said we were going to do it for like 30 minutes to an hour. We ended up doing it for almost three hours, actually. Oh. It was like fucking weird at first it feels awkward you know and it's not the best quality because you could buy like things to hold your phone 
so it stabilizes it so it's not like wobbly we did not have that it was just me walking around like i was even like pointing at stuff and i'd be like doing a little dance because i was excited and robert was like stop you're holding the phone you can't just do that people don't know you're dancing it just looks like you're shaking it <laughs> and i was like all right fine i'm not the good best i'm not the best filmographer but it was still pretty cool and uh we went. We only went on one ride while we were streaming. We went on the Mater's Junkyard ride, which is like actually one of our favorite rides. And uh, we showed them Universal. Nope, we didn't. We showed them California Adventures. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, we also drove to Universal Studios. It's like whatever. Yeah, we showed them California Adventures at first, and then we went to Disneyland. And as we were like walking down the main street of Disneyland they started doing their Halloween show like as we were walking and it's like against the side of the buildings and stuff and there's like Halloween shit on the side of the buildings music playing then there's like fireworks off in the distance and like whenever you're at Disneyland there's fireworks they have like a crowd of people and they have like people um directing you so you're not in the way the way that they end up directing us we walked right in front of the castle like literally no one in front of us like during the grand finale so we were just like showing everyone on the stream like the fucking castle we were just like the closest ones to it and i was joking like we should just sit down here (laughs) it was so dope perfectly timed yeah because we usually never watch like the shows or anything and this was like a really good one and we also Happened to be walking right by the water during the Fantasmic show. So we uh, streamed that too for like 20 minutes. It was really fun. And then we just like went on a couple of rides after the stream. But we like went pretty late in the day. We didn't get there till like 7.30. And we left like around 11.40. It was a shorter one. But then the day after was Robert's birthday. He turned the big 2-8. As he said on Boon Paper podcast, he can't join the 27 Club anymore. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ, who says that? 27 Club is the one of people who die when they're 27. <laughs> and I was like, cool thinking, but okay. And uh, yeah, for his birthday, we like we woke up. We only slept like four hours because we were supposed to play D&D. We haven't played D&D in like a month. And we were sitting there for 20 minutes, all of us except for one dude. And then the guy joined and was like, Oh, I have to cancel last second. There's like a wasp here. So then we ended up not playing D&D. And he had a family party that we were going to go to. So he made like these little pretzel bites and this vegan cheese dip, which is so good to bring. And I started to feel nauseous because I think it was a combination of sleeping four hours and then drinking a bunch of coffee. Like I felt so gross. So I didn't even go to the fucking birthday party. And when he was gone, I just fell asleep and he didn't come back for five hours so i woke up at like 5 p.m and he said like it was kind of boring and stuff so i felt bad but then we had like a little bit of a redemption we had a dinner reservation at 5 45 which he said let's just cancel i don't feel like driving downtown so then we both went to sleep again <laughs> and then i made us sandwiches when we woke up and that was his birthday celebration and then he went to work Aww. it was a very <laughs> a very anticlimactic birthday i feel bad I didn't even, like, post anything on his birthday. I only just posted something today because we didn't take any pictures on his birthday because I was asleep all day. (laughs) So I, like, just posted something today. I was like, I guess I'm not going to get any better pictures. Damn. But uh, hopefully next year we'll have more exciting stuff going on. I did buy him, like, food earlier this week. And then his sister got him a DoorDash gift card, so we ordered some food tonight. But, yeah, not the most exciting birthday. (laughs) Damn. 
oh well, there's always next year. Uh, sure. That's like, yeah, that's the main thing I had going on was just that. <laughs> just me being uh, not great at birthday things, which is okay. <laughs> Robert's the one who's good at birthday things. And also we kept doing that shit because originally before we knew we were going to take a nap together and uh, that I would just make sandwiches. We were like talking about like going in and just like picking up food somewhere easy. And I like made some suggestions. She's like, well, what do you want? And I was like, motherfucker, it's your goddamn birthday. You need to choose. But he didn't want to. And that's why we just went to sleep. <laughs> I'm dead. Yeah, he was like, I'm just not going to eat. So then I just made us food after. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, we have to eat, but whatever. So that's what's been going on here. That's like literally it. <laughs> it was just those two days were really busy. Not much. Not much going on. So yeah, I could already get into my story, honestly. Right. So before I begin, I did want to do a little bit of an explanation about what exactly a spree killer is. As like, depending on who you're asking, it could also fit the definition of a serial killer or a mass killer. According to dictionary.com, a spree killer is, quote, a person who kills more than one victim in more than one location in a very short period of time. I saw some websites describing, like, a cool down period of around one week that would make this person instead a serial killer. Like, if they waited a week in between their killing, it's not really a spree because they're not still in that, like, emotionally heightened state. So, but it was really hard actually researching because so many people were just showing, like, uh, Mass murders are serial killers. And I'm like, it's different. Mine's for sure a spree. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I had a hard time finding shit, though. It was I, hard. I found a whole, like, category on Wikipedia. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, there was, like, a lot I read about that were, uh, like, mass shootings. And I, I don't think we'll ever do a mass shooting episode. It's, like, actually too upsetting for me. It freaks me out so bad. I'm terrified of it. <laughs> Like, I can't even read about it. Oh. Oh, no. <laughs> I could hear it. I could hear it, but I can't research it because then I get too into my head about it. Oh. Yeah, it's okay. Don't worry. Oh, Your O's like... are making me nervous. No, mine right. is like shootings too, but it's like, yeah. Oh, God. Okay, we'll see what you talk about. Jesus. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyway. So this week, I'm going to be talking about Charles Starkweather. Charles Starkweather was born on November 24th, 1938 in Lincoln, Nebraska, to parents Guy and Helen. Yep, he shares your birthday. Your birthday and Ted Bundy's birthday. What's up with all these, like, sickos being born on November 24th, huh? Say what? What's wrong with you? Have you just not revealed that you're also a murderer? Maybe. I'm saying we haven't heard of any Mayday murderers. No one's born on May 1st so far. It's November 24th. It's like a fucking crazy day. What can I say? You could admit to being a murderer right now. I knew it. (gasps) What if you were? I mean, that'd be kind of fucking insane. And you're just like smiling yourself like this idiot. I'm going to kill her. (laughs) (laughs) She knows too much. She knows too much. I promise. I'm not a killer. Okay, good. That's exactly what a killer would promise. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) Charles was born with, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly because it's a milk thing, but genuverum, which is a mild birth defect that basically makes your legs look a little different. Like they're kind of like a bowing at the knee. And he was the third of seven children in the working class family. 
His dad worked as an occasional carpenter who often was out of work due to his arthritis. And when his dad was out of work, his mom, like, paid for all the family bills by working as a waitress. Throughout his time in school, Charles was bullied by classmates for his walk and a slight stutter that he had. And as he got older, the only subject that he really excelled at was gym class, where he was able to have an outlet for his anger at his bullies. Eventually, the 5'5 teen was able to get bigger and stronger, eventually described as being well-built but small. After watching a movie with James Dean in it, he tried. He started trying to like emulate his look. He dyed his hair black with shoe polish and dressed in blue jeans and black motorcycle jackets, just trying to be like fucking Edge Lord, so cool. Cringe. I mean, it's actually a cool look, but cringe because you're doing it to copy James Dean. <laughs> with his newfound strength, Charles turned on the kids who used to bully him and began to pick on them instead. He eventually began to feel rage, not just at those who had wronged him, but literally just to anyone that he disliked. He was just a really angry dude. He'd gone from being a well-behaved kid to one of the community's most troubled teens in a matter of years. And by the time that he dropped out of high school in his senior year, supposedly even his family was afraid of him as he was known to have violent outbursts. One from him from high school was later quoted as saying, He could be the kindest person you've ever seen. He'd do anything for you if he liked you. He was a hell of a lot of fun to be around to. Everything was just one big joke to him. But he had this other side. He could be mean as hell, cruel. If he saw some poor guy in the street who was bigger than he was, better looking or better dressed, he tried to take the poor bastard down to his size. So he's just like really insecure and sounds like he had like fucking issues with that. He thought people were better than him should be treated like shit. In 1956, Charles, who was now working a warehouse job, was introduced to 13-year-old Carol Ann Fugate. Carol was born on July 30th, 1943, and lived at home in Lincoln, Nebraska with her mom, stepdad, and at least one younger sister. She had one older sister, but I'm not sure if she lived at home. She was actually introduced to Charles through her sister, who was dating one of Charles's friends. I read on one site that Charles may have dated her sister previously, too, but I don't know, because that's just fucking weird. I don't know. There was, like, so much inconsistencies in the different websites I was reading. Like, you're going to hear me several times throughout my story say, but this other website said <laughs> the two began a romantic relationship, I put in quotes, because he was 18 and she was 13. And even in Nebraska, the age of consent is 16. Charles's warehouse job was pretty close to Carol's school, so he would go to visit her every day after her classes. Using his dad's car, he started teaching his young girlfriend how to drive, but she actually crashed the car one day, which caused a fight between Charles and his parents, and he was literally banished from his family home because his eighth grade girlfriend crashed their car. Oh, she was in eighth grade. She wasn't even a freshman. She was like an eighth grader, and he had dropped out his senior year. It's so gross. Soon after, Charles took a job as a garbage collector and started to become very disillusioned with his life. He believed that his current situation was pretty much a basis for how he was going to spend the rest of his time on Earth and thought that the world was out to get him. In his anger, he began to plan robberies during his pickups, believing that crime was his only way out of financial hardship. He also came up with a new personal philosophy. Dead people are all on the same level. Talk about a fucking inferiority complex, bro. Despite all the planning for robbery, as far as I can tell, his crimes didn't actually begin until the next year in 1957 when he was 19. On November 30th, 1957, Charles was at a gas station trying to buy a stuffed animal, but became enraged as the attendant, Robert Colvert, refused to sell him the item on credit, as Charles had suggested. 
This is like a fucking IOU for a stuffed animal at a gas station. So in the early hours of December 1st, Charles returned to the store, this time with a shotgun, and forced Robert to give him $100 from the register before kidnapping him. He drove his victim to a remote wooded area and shot him in the head. At the time of his death, Robert Culver was 21 years old and had just recently been discharged from the Navy. Over $100. It's so terrifying to read sometimes about people murdered after robberies because it's always such small amounts of money. It's like $30, $200. And I'm like, that person doesn't exist anymore. Like, what the fuck? I feel like that's when it's more... It's not even about the money. Yeah, it's just about his own fucking anger at the world. On January 21st, 1958, Charles went to visit his now 14-year-old girlfriend at her home, but he was turned away by her mom and stepdad. Actually, according to Carol, she'd broken up with the older teen a couple days earlier. Regardless of whether they were broken up or not, after being told to stay away from his, I repeat again, 8th grade love interest... He murdered 36-year-old Velda Bartlett and 58-year-old Marion Bartlett by shooting them. He also then killed the couple's two-year-old daughter, Carol's half-sister, Betty Jean, by hitting and then stabbing her. He hid the bodies behind the house and awaited Carol's arrival, telling her when she got home that his friends were holding her family hostage and that she had to cooperate with him, otherwise they'd be killed. Over the next six days, the pair stayed at Carol's home, turning away all visitors, including her family, as well as Charles' own brother who tried to stop by. Carol had put a note on the door saying, Stay away. Everybody is sick with the flu. Signed, Miss Bartlett, which was underlined twice. She later said that this small detail was actually her attempt to signal that something was wrong, as her and her younger sister didn't share a last name, and therefore the only Miss Bartlett in the house was a two-year-old. Which I feel like is pretty fucking smart of her, but I don't know if that did anything. Because it wasn't until January 27th, after Carol's grandma finally got so suspicious that she was threatening to call the police, that the two fled the home and headed to the farm of a family friend, 70-year-old August Meyer. August was known to be a quiet gentleman, and there's differing articles saying whether or not he offered to help Charles with something because his car got stuck. But regardless... Charles had no issue murdering August by shooting him in the head and killing his dog before stealing food and money from his home. So if he wasn't attempting to help about his car getting stuck, his car was stuck because when they were attempting to flee, it was, it, yeah, it just got stuck in mud and the couple were forced to abandon it. While hitchhiking on the road, they were eventually able to catch a ride with a teenage couple, 17-year-old Robert Jensen and 16-year-old Carol King. Charles forced the couple to drive to an abandoned storm cellar in Bennett, Nebraska. After shooting Robert and killing him, he attempted and failed to rape Carol King. And then in his anger, he shot and killed her as well. Later on, Charles tried to claim that Carol had been the one to kill their female victim, other Carol. But she herself claims that she was in the car during the whole ordeal. Regardless of what happened, the two fled in the dead couple's car. They next headed to a more wealthy area of Lincoln and broke into the home of 47-year-old industrialist C. Lauer Ward and his 50-year-old wife, Clara. When they discovered the couple's maid, Lillian Fensel, Charles stabbed her to death. And she was just 51 at the time of her death on January 28th. Next up, Charles killed the family dog by breaking its neck to prevent it from alerting the wards to their presence. 
and then they stayed and wait for the couple to arrive home. Clara arrived home first, alone, and was stabbed to death. According to Charles, he did throw a knife at Clara, which is, like, weird. I don't know why he threw it. But he says that Carol was the one to kill her, and she, of course, denies this. Later that evening, Laurel arrived home and was shot and killed by Charles, and the two proceeded to fill the ward's car with stolen jewelry before fleeing Nebraska and beginning their journey to Washington, where Charles had a brother. By the next day, the massacre at the ward's home had been discovered, causing lots of fear and anger in Lancaster County. Cops were sent house to house and then block to block looking for the killers, and the Nebraska governor even reached out to the National Guard for help. Despite all the agencies working towards finding the murderers at large, and several sightings of them around the city, they were unable to find them, a fact which the police were later criticized for and called incompetent. There's no way this 19-year-old was that smart. I mean, he's definitely not. He's doing some dumb shit. He just, like, shoots people and leaves them. He's like, all right, I'm going to take your car. So, I mean, I guess he was smart enough because he did know that their last victims were found and that, therefore, the car was too hot to be driving. They decided to secure a new car when they were just outside of Douglas, Wyoming. You know, not quite Washington yet. I looked it up. I think it was, like, 500 miles away. Inside this car, a Buick, a 34-year-old traveling salesman named Merle Collision was sleeping on the side of the road when he was awoken and then fatally shot. There were a couple of different articles that said that he refused to give his car and was fatally shot, but honestly, given how they've been so far, I don't think that even if he'd given up his car, I'm pretty sure he would have been shot. They, like, literally, they killed people who were just giving them rides as hitchhikers that weren't even suspicious of them. Like, this dude just likes killing people. Charles claims that Carol had committed this murder after his gun jammed and said that she was the most trigger-happy person he'd ever met, which she denies. So the Buick had a parking brake, which Charles had never seen before, which is a very funny old times thing. Didn't know what a parking brake was. So as he attempted to drive away, the car stalled. While trying to restart it, passing motorist Joe Sprinkle stopped by to offer his help after seeing two cars from the side of the road and like assuming maybe there'd been an accident. Charles asked if he could help him with the emergency brake, but as Joe looked into the car, he noticed a body stuffed under the dashboard and found that Charles was now pointing a gun at him. A scuffle ensued and Joe, who was six feet tall, was able to gain an advantage and grab the gun, realizing later that if he'd won, I would be dead. He also said that every time that he looked at the gun, it just looked bigger and bigger to him. As the two were wrestling for the weapon... In a weird timing, a local sheriff's deputy, William Romer, happened to drive by and see that something was going on. As he got of his car, Carol suddenly ran towards him, yelling something. There's not an exact quote, but something similar to, he's going to kill me, he's crazy, he just killed someone. While the officer was distracted, Charles was somehow able to get away again in the car that he'd stolen from the wards. After confirming their identities with Carol, because... I mean, no one really said for sure, but I think that everyone knew that they were looking for them. Like, I think that it was known who they were, maybe. It's super unclear to me. Romer radioed for help, and nearby police set up a roadblock near Douglas city limits, which Charles quickly blew through. A police chase ensued through downtown Douglas, with speeds exceeding 100 miles per hour as cops fired at Charles' car. Finally, a bullet smashed the windshield of the stolen car and cut Charles' ear and right hand, causing him to bleed a little bit. 
Slightly injured, he stopped his car and after a tense moment surrendered, allowing himself to finally be arrested on January 29, 1958. One arresting officer was quoted saying that, quote, he thought he was bleeding to death. That's why he stopped. That's the kind of yellow son of a bitch he is. Meanwhile, Charles naturally insisted that his gun had simply run out of ammunition and that they would never have caught me if I hadn't stopped. Sure, bud. <laughs> he, I do think it's hilarious to imagine that his ear was bleeding a little bit and he's like, I'm going to bleed to death. I need to stop. After murdering like 11 people, he's like, oh my god, my ear. Like, even I'm not that much of a baby. So, there are some inconsistencies to the different articles I read, again, about what exactly happened next, but... It seems like most of them agree at the time the Wyoming governor was very much against the death penalty and potentially made a, made a statement saying that if he was sentenced to death, he would have commuted it to life. The case was actually deferred to Nebraska prosecutors. It's not sure to me whose decision this was, like if he, if Charles actually had a say in it, if it was just like the Nebraska police or what happened. But regardless, Charles and Carol were extradited back to Nebraska the next day and interviewed about the murders. For Carol, things were a bit more complicated now, as it was unclear if she had been a hostage or an active accomplice in these murders. During initial interrogations, Charles himself claimed that he had kidnapped Carol and she wasn't involved at all, saying that she didn't have anything to do with it. She tried to get away a couple of times. But as time went on, he changed his story several times, and in the end, he landed on a version of the story that Carol had been a willing participant during the entire killing spree, including during the murder of their own family. Carol, meanwhile, has always maintained her innocence. She claims that she thought her family was still alive when she'd been taken hostage by Charles, and she thought that she had to go along with him in order to keep them safe. After starting to the police, she appeared to be in a state of shock and was very nervous and upset. It was noted that while waiting in the sheriff's department, she was alternately sobbing hysterically and sitting quietly and told officers that he made me sit in the car with that dead man. She reportedly was so distraught that she actually had to be sedated. The following morning, Carol screamed and cried for her mom, asking why she wasn't allowed to call her parents. At least one of the arresting officers believes that she didn't know her family was dead. And after receiving the news that night that they had been murdered, she broke down, just twisting tissues into tiny doll shapes. Charles was tried for just one murder, that of Robert Jensen, and against his own wishes, his lawyers attempted to plead innocence by reason of insanity, but to no avail. On May 23, 1958, he was sentenced to death by electric chair. Leading up to his execution, he reportedly seemed indifferent and resigned to his upcoming death, and even said once that he believed he was supposed to die, but he also thought that Carol should be joining him in the electric chair. He neglected to have any final words and was executed at Nebraska State Penitentiary at 12.04 a.m. on June 25, 1959, at the age of 20. In a letter he'd sent to his parents on death row, Charles wrote, quote, But Dad, I'm not real sorry for what I did, because for the first time, me and Carol have more fun. Charles was buried in Wyoka Cemetery in Lincoln, Nebraska, the same resting place where five of his victims are also buried. Damn. Though Carol claimed she had been a hostage of Charles, a judge felt differently and came to the conclusion that she had multiple opportunities to escape him during her time being held captive, and therefore she must have been a willing accomplice. Charles himself even testified this at her trial. Because she was only 14 during the murders, she, instead of facing the death penalty, was sentenced to life in prison on November 21, 1958. 
At the time, she was the youngest person in American history to be tried for first-degree murder. After serving 17 and a half years of prison time, Carol was released on parole on good behavior and eventually settled down in Michigan, where she got married and changed her name, now going by Carol Ann Claire. Since her release from prison, she has tried twice to seek a pardon for her part in these crimes. In her first 1996 attempt, she was denied even having a hearing. In 2017, Carol, now in her 70s, again tried to get pardoned from the Nebraska Port Pardons Board, saying, quote, The idea that posterity has been made to believe that I knew about and or witnessed the death of my beloved family and I left with Starkweather willingly on a murder spree is too much for me to bear anymore. Receiving a pardon may somehow alleviate this terrible burden. She even had the support of the ward's grandchild, who said themselves, even if one were to remain unconvinced of Carol Fugate's outright innocence in the murder of Robert Jensen, perhaps one might find her not culpable, and by doing so, thereby travel to a place in which she is found deserving of this pardon. I very much hope that Carol and Fugate departs this earth with some measure of peace and knowing her side of the story has been heard and honored. Unfortunately, her pardon was denied as her request was considered too broad for the parole board. Which I don't know what that even means. There's, I, there's still like a lot of controversy. I think I am of the thought that she wasn't involved. The main thing that actually changed my mind was that she put the Miss Bartlett on that note originally. That's just, that stuck me as just like weird. And also, like reading about like her lawyers talking about, they referred to the time for trials being the bad old days when like they didn't think about the power and consistencies and like this couple. The judge was like, she had so many chances to escape. And Carol, like, is like, I witnessed him murder people. Like, the sec, like, right after we left my family home, I saw him shoot somebody. Like, Loki, I probably wouldn't try to escape either. I'd just be like, all right, I'm along for this ride because what the fuck choice do I have, you know? The case of this killing spree went on to inspire several books and movies, including The Badlands and Natural Born Killers, both of which I think. I haven't watched them, but my impression was that they more paint them both as equal partners. And it inspired the song Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. But yeah, that is my story on Charles Starkweather. And I was going to originally say by Charles of Charles and Carol, but now I've come to the conclusion that I don't think she was involved. Yeah. Yeah. Personal opinion. Yeah, low key. I don't think so either. She yeah, was really especially young. like she, she was so young. It's kind of crazy to me. This also might be hot take. Even if she was involved, it's kind of crazy to me that a fourteen-year-old could still be sentenced to life, and that they wouldn't try to make, if she had been involved, like they wouldn't try to make some kind of rehabilitation program go on. There's like, yeah, you're, you're third, you're fourteen, and now you are going to live forever in jail. Was their plan? Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's tough. Super weird. But yeah. So yeah, I'm going to talk about Howard Unruh. He was an American. I mean, some people... <laughs> I was just going to say some people also like debate if he was a mass murderer or spree killer. And I think he was a mass murderer that went on a killing spree. That's basically the gist of it. Yeah, there is kind of like a fine line between which is which. Yeah, I feel he's like technically both. He um shot and killed 13 people during a 12-minute walk through his neighborhood. 
Oh, fuck. <laughs> Holy yeah. shit. Jesus. Yeah. But yeah, it happened in Camden, New Jersey on September 6, 1949, when he was 28 years old. The incident became known as the Walk of Death. And I guess... So creepy. It also was, like, one of the first, like, mass murders in America. First of many. Mm-hmm. But yeah, Howard Barton... Unruh was born on January 21st, 1921, in Camden, New Jersey. He was the son of Samuel Shipley Unruh and Frida E. Wilmer. He had a younger brother named James. They were raised by their mother after their parents separated. Howard grew up in East Camden and attended Kramer Junior High School. He graduated from Woodrow Wilson High School in January of 1939. The Woodrow Wilson High School yearbook from 1939 indicated that he was shy and that his ambition was to become a government employee. Boring ass ambition, Loki. <laughs> I guess that's what he was described as, just a very like low-key, reserved... Um, kind of boring dude. Yeah, kind of boring dude. He basic. Was just basic, normal. Hmm. So Howard ended up enlisting in the United States Army on October 27th, 1942. Yeah, he was active as an armor crewman across Europe between October 1944 and July of 1945. He was remembered by his section chief, Norman E. Cohen, as a first-class soldier who never drank, swore, or chased girls, and spent much time reading his Bible and writing long letters to his mother. Jesus Christ. So, Nerd like, alert! Super boring. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess he was a little weird, because uh, I guess uh, he kept very meticulous notes, especially, I guess, on his en enemies. And, like, what the fuck? Yeah, like people that he had killed down to the details of like their corpse. Which is like, Ew. that's, yeah, that's not normal. But yeah, he was awarded the European Theater of Operations Medal, the Victory Medal, and the Good Conduct Medal. He was eventually honorably discharged at the end of the war and returned home to New Jersey to live with his mother. Both his brother and his father later indicated that Unruh's wartime experiences had changed him, making him moody, nervous, and detached. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, PTSD, for sure. Yep. After going back home, he briefly found work as a sheet metal worker before en enrolling at the Temple University School of Pharmacy in Philadelphia. But he ended up quitting after just a month, citing poor physical condition as the reason. Which is like, because hmm, he was pretty healthy. It's weird. But yeah, he basically just stayed home. Um, his mom was working in a soap factory and basically maintained them. And he would just literally just stay at home, decorate. He decorated the, their house with, like, his medals, 
Um, I guess he was always reading his Bible. And he also, in the basement, kind of like, basically made his own gun range. Oh, cool. (laughs) Which I'm like, goddamn. What the fuck? Yeah. But yeah, just ever since, like, he returned home after the war, he just was very different. And he actually had a lot of trouble getting along with many of the neighbors. But yeah, he was considered a mama's boy and subject to teasing. And Howard eventually became paranoid about his neighbors and started to keep a diary detailing every single thing that he thought was said about it. Next to each of what those... What the fuck? Yeah, he was like very like detailed about everything. They were straight up did not know about mental health back then, huh? <laughs> Next to each of those complained about was the word retail, which was short for retaliate. So, I mean, we're not there yet, but technically this could be a revenge killing too. Yeah, it sounds planned as fuck. He's literally writing retaliate next to their names. Well, yeah, I guess he just, he grew resentment just because a quote derogatory remarks made about my character. And it pissed him off. He did have one major feud with his neighbor, um, Maurice Cohen. His brother actually, like, talked about it. But yeah, his neighbor Maurice was a pharmacist who like owned his own like pharmacy down the street. Or he like, it was like a two story, and he lived upstairs, and the bottom part was the pharmacy. But yeah, I guess they just kind of had beef because Howard, I guess, would use Maurice's backyard to like get into his apartment. Wouldn't it be kind of like both their backyards, honestly? Yeah, but. But they basically fought over it. But technically on the lease? Probably. (laughs) Yeah. Prior to the killings, Howard was supposed to meet a man with whom he had been having a weeks-long affair with. Ooh. But I guess traffic had held him up, and by the time he reached the theater, his date was gone. Howard sat in the dark until 2.20 a.m., bitterly he just stayed there and watched movies by itself, basically, and was very mad. He eventually returned home around 3 a.m., and upon his return home, he noticed that a gate that he had just installed, like, to access his apartment or whatever, through mm-hmm. that one said backyard, had been removed. And some would say that was, like, his final straw. Like, after that, he just fucking lost it. Because I guess they have been having, like, little petty, like, things happening. Back and forth. Yeah, back and forth, little comments, and that, I guess. He sounds like he's super paranoid, too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, I guess after that, that's when he was just like, you know what, I'm done. But yeah, they said that, he said that he basically was like, that was it, and he was going to go to bed and deal with it in the morning. At approximately 7 a.m. on September 6, 1949, Howard dressed in his best suit and ate a breakfast prepared by his mother, who had actually left to visit a neighbor, Carolina Pinner. At about 9.20 a.m. after he ate and 
literally like got dressed up like if he was like going out dressed to the nines he was dressed his best because it was a big day in his head you know he armed himself with his luger po8 pistol an eight round magazine and more ammunition carried in his pockets he left the apartment and walked out onto river road in camden approaching a bread delivery truck howard shoved his pistol through the door and shot at the driver oh I, yeah, it's um, just like that. Just like that, and it just gets worse. But yeah, I guess he missed where he potentially was trying to shoot the driver. But either way, the driver unsuccessfully attempted to warn, like, the other residents. Mm-hmm. After that, Howard walked and visited the shop of one of his neighbors, shoemaker John Pilarchik, whom he shot and killed instantly. He next visited the barbershop of another neighbor, Clark Hoover, who was cutting the hair of a six-year-old, Oris Smith. He shot Clark in the head and Oris in the neck, both fatally. Mm -hmm. Then he ran to Maurice's pharmacy, and on his way there, he encountered an insurance man, James Hutton, who he killed because he didn't move out of the way. Oh my god. So he proceeded to so this the is rear. more than retaliation now, bud. <laughs> yeah, this is more. He then proceeded to the rear of the pharmacy and saw Maurice and his wife, Rose, running up the stairs to their apartment. Because keep in mind, this was in the neighborhood and, like, obviously people, like, were hearing the gunshots. Yeah. And probably there, I imagine there was, like, some kind of, like, yelling going on, like, oh my god, what the fuck? Yeah. Once in the apartment, Maurice climbed through a window and onto the porch roof, while Rose hid herself and their son, 12-year-old Charles, in separate closets. However, Howard discovered the closet Rose was hiding in and shot three times through the door before opening it and firing it once more into her face. Oh my god. Walking across the apartment, he spotted Maurice's mother, Minnie, age 63, trying to call the police, and he shot her several times. He then followed Maurice onto the porch roof and shot him in the back, causing him to fall to the pavement below. Charles, still hiding in the second closet, managed to escape undetected. Oh my god, good. Like, lucky little kid, bro. That's, must have been so scary. He then walked into the middle of River Road and fired at an approaching sedan, killing the driver, Alvin Day, and causing the car to crash into the sidewalk. He then visited the business of Taylor Thomas Zegrino. He was not there, but his wife Helga was and was killed by Howard. Mm -hmm. Thomas would be the only one on Howard's intended targets to survive the rampage. Like oh my looking. god, he got everyone else on his list? Mm-hmm. Fuck. After firing through the locked front door of a grocery store, Howard approached the car waiting in the intersection and shot the occupants. A woman named Helen Wilson, her son John, and her mother Emma Maclack. The two women died instantly, while the boy died later at the Cooper Hospital. Were these people, like, even on his list, or were they just no, there? No, they are just there. 
It's just the worst coincidence. Mm -hmm. Howard then fired through an apartment window, killing two-year-old Thomas Hamilton. <gasps> the child's caregiver, Irene Rice, collapsed upon witnessing the shooting and was treated for severe shock. Mm. Howard would later claim that he didn't know who he saw in the window or whether he hit him. He just saw movement and shot at the window. You can see that this movement was like super small. I'm I mean, it's, he probably it didn't have like, a problem choosing killing kids anyway. Yeah, I mean, he shot a six year old. Oh. And a two year old. Gross. Howard next fired upon another car coming down the street. Its occupants, Charles Peterson and James Crawford, managed to escape to a nearby tavern and survived. A witness named William McNeely saw a man named Frank Engel run out of the tavern and shoot at Howard, but he apparently missed and then ran back inside. It's like they were trying I'm to just like, watching a cartoon, you know, where they like run in and out of the rooms real quick. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I was like, well, he like tried to stop him though. He tried something. They did find out that later though that he actually did end up shooting Howard in the leg. Oh. And they didn't discover it until after a lengthy interview with Howard. He's probably like in shock and didn't even feel it. Or like his adrenaline was going because he was fucking becoming a murderer. Probably. He just kind of lost his marbles, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Howard fired at several other people across the street, missing them. He then found Madeline Harris and her son Armand outside of their home, hanging out blankets to dry, and shot at them. Both were injured, but survived. Hearing police sirens in the distance, Howard returned to his apartment, which was soon surrounded by police. The first officer on the scene was Detective William E. Kelly. A gunfight ensued, during which journalist Philip Buxton of Camden Evening Courier found Howard's number in the local telephone directory and dialed it. Howard answered in what was described as a strong, clear voice and had the following conversation with Buxton. Is this Howard? Yes. What's the last name of the party you want? Unruh. I'm a friend. I want to know what you they're doing to you. They're not doing a damn thing to me, but I'm doing plenty to them. How many have you killed? I don't know yet because I haven't counted them. But it looks like a pretty good score. Ugh. Why are you killing people? I don't know. I can't answer that yet. I'm too busy. At that point, Brunson heard Howard move away from the phone as gunfire was heard in the background. Hmm. I'll have to talk to you later. A couple of friends are coming to get me. And then it just kind of ends. What? There. Yeah. The gunfight ended when police threw two tear gas bombs into the apartment, the second of which went off, filling the room with gas. Two armed officers, Patrolman Charles Hands and Captain Everett Jocelyn, went up to the first floor of the building and shouted, Come down with your hands up. To which Howard replied, I give up. Don't shoot. <laughs> 
Fucking, that's like the most frustrating part of most. These fucking pussies are so scared of getting injured themselves after they go and kill a bunch of people. True. Well, I mean, technically he did get a little injured because he actually ended up stumbling down the stairs. Fucking <laughs> dude. He basically ate shit down the stairs and like literally fell at the feet of the officers. And so they hanged yeah, up to I'm him. I'm glad he embarrassed himself <laughs> <laughs> after that. He fucked. But yeah, detectives found his apartment was filled with what was described as an arsenal of weapons, guns, knives, and bullet-making equipment, and more than 700 rounds. Jesus. In a drawer were several marksmanship medals, and in the basement, they, like, basically discovered how he had his own target range. His weird-ass little basement. And I don't know much about the Bible, but apparently it, there was one on the table, and it was open to Matthew chapter 24. Okay. I don't know. I think that's the one that they specifically say, kill thy neighbors. Oh, does it really? <laughs> no, I have no idea. <laughs> no, isn't it, do not kill thy neighbor? Yeah, no, that's, I know that's in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This is kind of irre- irrelevant, but apparently they also found books relating to sex hygiene. <laughs> so planning for murders and like how to clean a dick. <laughs> right. Under police interrogation, Howard gave a meticulous account of its, his actions, which was later released by Captain Camden County Prosecutor Michael Cohen which is no relation to Maurice Cohen. Okay. Because I actually wondered that. No, I was that like, would have oh been conflict of interest, I'd say. Right? <laughs> I was like, are they related? But no. But yeah, I guess he was literally so like calm the whole time that it wasn't until the end of the interview that they discovered that Howard was actually shot in his thigh. And like Jesus. was literally bleeding. He was subsequently taken... I do want to say, they sound kind of stupid for not noticing blood. True, but I mean, I think he was wearing, like, a black suit. Oh, oh yeah, he was dressed in a suit, okay. He was dressed very nicely. He was subsequently taken to Cooper Hospital for treatment, where his thirsting victim, the kid from the grocery store, or the car, Mm -hmm. that's where he was, like, basically dying. Mm-hmm. Charges were filed for 13 counts of willful and malicious slayings with malice aforethought and three counts of atrocious assault and battery. Atrocious. Atrocious. I'm sorry, but I just love these charge names. These old words. (laughs) I know. Howard was eventually diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia by psychologists and found to be insane, making him immune to criminal prosecution. Oh. When he was able to leave Cooper Hospital, Howard was sent to the New Jersey Hospital for the Insane, which is now called Trenton Psychiatric Hospital. He was to be held in a private cell in the Maximum Security Room building. He remained incarcerated there until his death in 2009. He died at the age of 88 years old. Sheesh. Howard's last public words made during an interview with the psychologist were, I'd have killed a thousand if I had enough bullets. Ew, dude. 
Ew. Mm-hmm. Nasty. Gross. But yeah, he uh killed a total of 13 people and injured three. Shit. And out of the 13 people he killed, three were kids. Oh my god, dude. But yeah, I'll just go down the list. So, mm-hmm. he murdered John Joseph Pilarchik, who was 27. Boris Martin Smith, who was six years old. Clark Hoover, who was 45. James Hutton, who was 46. Rose Cohen, who was 38. Minnie Cohen, who was 63. Dr. Maurice J. Cohen, who was 39. Alvin Day, who was 24. Thomas Hamilton, who was 2. Helga Kozak Zengrino, who was 28. Emma Matlack, who was 68. Helen Wilson, who was 37. And John Wilson, who was 9. Fuck, dude. Mm. That's sad. That's like a lot of like family members, too. Yeah. That's really sad. I wonder, actually, now that I think about it, where the kid that was getting a haircut, where his parents were. They could have just, like, lived nearby and he walked over, potentially. True. It was in the neighborhood. Yeah. But, yeah. This is, I guess, one of the most infamous, like, mass shootings. Because it literally happened in the span of, like, I think they said. It it varies on what article you read. Mm Mm-hmm. But it varies from 12 to 15 minutes. All those people died in less than the time it took you to tell that story. Dude, for real. Isn't that weird? Yes. That's fucking scary. scary. Ugh, this is why I never want to leave my apartment again. But yeah, I also have this other... It's kind of related. Kind of not. It's just kind of a not-so-fun fact. Okay. But, uh... Maurice and Rose Cohen's son, Charles, then age 12, survived the murder of his family by hiding in the closet, as you know. Mm -hmm. I guess he's actually the maternal grandfather of Carly Novell, who survived the Parkland shooting Uh, by hiding in a closet. I actually read that line somewhere, and that made me so sad that I didn't read your story. Oh, that's so fucked. That's, like, hella fucked. Two people in the same family. So many years apart, too. Mm-hmm. Both survived mass shootings by hiding closets. That's terrifying, like, dude. Hella long. That makes me really sad. Because, yeah, this shooting happened in 1949, I believe. And then Parkland oh happened God. in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. That's so sad. I wonder if she knew, like, the story. I'm sure she, she probably did. did. I feel like she did. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the kind of not so fun fact, which is fucking crazy. So nobody could say that it hasn't always been that violent here. <laughs> Literally, her fucking grandpa survived the same way. Fucking yeah, I mean, Ugh. I wasn't at school, but still, still, that's terrifying, dude. But yeah, that's the story of fucking Howard Unruh. What a gross dude. Him and Charles. I'm surprised that he wasn't executed too, to be honest. They were kind of executing people willy-nilly back then. True. 
but I think because he was found like. Oh insane. no, he was found insane. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Or right. else he they probably would have. Yeah. Big true. But yeah, that is it for this week. If you guys want to email us, you can at thespookyshit.pod at gmail.com. Our Twitter and Instagram are spookyshit underscore pod, and our website is spookyshit-pod.com. Did you have anything else to add? No, just want to say thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Thank you, guys. And we'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Drop the E. <laughs> 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 <laughs>